This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello uh, and uh, welcome to the Hindu show uh, Professor Vincent Rajkumar Dr. Vincent Rajkumar is a professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic in the US and uh, today we'll be talking about what steroids are so uh, he'll give us a lowdown on steroids their use in medicine and of course uh, currently in covid uh thank you so much uh, Dr. Vincent for agreeing to speak to us um let's keep this like really basic for uh, our readers um why don't we start with what are steroids uh, what are their functions and what are they meant to do what types of steroids are there uh, thanks so much for having me on this podcast steroids are hormones uh, normally the body the adrenal gland secretes cortisol which is a steroid um, and it has a nor- lot of normal functions in the body um mediating you know uh, a variety of different normal physiologic functions when you use steroids in high doses then you get a lot of anti-inflammatory properties and immunosuppressive properties by that i mean you can suppress um the immune system you can reduce fever you can uh, reduce inflammation in people who have arthritis Uh, you can sometimes even use steroids in high doses to kill cancer cells so these are very powerful when used at high doses medically we use them for a lot of different reasons and there are a number of steroid preparations on the market uh, you can take steroids by mouth by intravenous route you can also take steroids uh, topically you know apply it as ointments so people would have found these steroids everywhere because it's literally thousands of different conditions that you can use steroids to treat and people would have heard them with names such as cortisone hydrocortisone prednisolone vicolone dexamethasone decadron these are all solumedrol they're all steroids the important thing for people to know is if you it's a double edged sword if you use it inappropriately at high doses or for too long steroids can cause great harm so while they have medical uses when you don't use them correctly it can cause great harm and these harms include when you take steroids at high doses an increased risk of infections uh, because they suppress the immune system so bacterial infections fungal infections viral infections they can all increase they reduce the muscle mass people get very weak they increase blood sugars they cause hypertension they cause complete mood disorders people on high dose steroids can um, can act aggressively can do irrational things so the, these are not medications that you can use casually you have to be very careful in the right dose the right duration for the right indication um thank you for that that's um, a good primer on what steroids are uh what is the controversy surrounding usage of steroids for covid which is what we're seeing now um 
is is it about usage of steroids itself because we know that dexamethasone seems to have a, a very positive effect on people who have covid that's been proven is it the is the issue with using steroids itself or when steroids should be used or is it the issue of how much you need to give uh, and carefully calibrate it yes and for this one has to step back and look at covid covid is a viral infection the last thing you want to do for a viral infection is to give steroids and suppress the immune system because then the virus is going to divide more happily so it has a very defined role what happens in covid is that the first phase of illness the virus is dividing and the virus is attacking your uh, respiratory system your lungs and at that stage in the early stage if steroids are taken while the virus is dividing it can be dangerous the second phase of the illness as tero as the coronavirus starts affecting the lungs it induces a very aggressive immune response so the feeling is that in the second phase part of the damage to the lungs is not really only from the virus but also because the immune system is just ramping up so much trying to fight the virus it's inadvertently damaging your own lungs so at that stage if you use steroids what it does is the virus is already divided it's being controlled well but it's probably a little too much so steroids just dampen the immune response so that the body is not damaged so that the lungs are not damaged and that's what they found in the recovery trial which randomized patients and they found that only when patients have lung involvement and require oxygen steroids were beneficial if you give it too early then you're just going to help the virus grow if you give it too late it won't have effect if you give it at a very high dose or for too long it'll have unintended consequences so it's got to be used in the way it was designed in the way it was tested which is at the onset of hypoxia when the oxygen goes down you give dexamethasone at the correct dose 6 mg for the correct duration 5 days is what they used maximum 7 days that's what i would recommend and then beyond that don't use it um when used properly it saves lives when used inappropriately it's going to cost lives right yeah that makes a lot of sense um the other thing is uh do you think you could explain how exactly the steroids because that's something that you know people are also looking for uh you did say that it dampens the immune system but is there a could you describe the methodology how does it actually dampen the immune system is there uh, is there something that we can learn uh, you know at 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 the uh, you know very common uh, level well quite simply i am a myeloma researcher i treat patients with multiple myeloma multiple myeloma is a cancer of plasma cells plasma cells are the cells that make antibodies to help you fight infections so if you kill plasma cells you will have less antibodies i use steroids to kill plasma cells so when you use steroids it actually actively kills the immune system cells it is cytotoxic to plasma cells to other b lymphocytes to t lymphocytes so it has a direct effect on the same cells that help us fight infection now if you have a cancer and i'm trying to kill the cells that make antibodies it's okay 
But when you have a raging infection, the last thing you want to do is to kill your lymphocytes and your plasma cells that are helping you fight the infection. So that's one. But steroids also do a lot of other things. I mean, they suppress the immune system by also suppressing cytokines and uh, other things that help you your immune system be active. But just for people to know, it has a direct cytotoxic effect on the very cells that help us fight infection. Right. So um, what about the other side effects that, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at constantly? Uh, I mean, over the course of uh, you know many years, we've discovered that there is an elevation in blood sugar levels. They have to be monitored closely. There's also a weight gain issue. Uh, and in COVID, we're looking at something called mucormycosis or black fungus uh, as a direct uh, consequence of uh, unmonitored steroid uh, usage. Like you said, it's a double-edged sword. Um, but your response to uh, the side effects of steroids? Again, a simple Google search would tell you that everything from arthritis to cancer to nausea, steroids can be useful when used correctly. The same way, as many indications are there for steroids, there are as many side effects. It has side effects on virtually every organ system in the body. Um, starting with the fact that people get anxious, angry, irritable mood disorders. It suppresses the immune system. So there's increased risk of infections, which would be bacterial infections, but more importantly, fungal infections. Fungal infections include mucor, which is the black fungus, um, as well as you know viral infections and other things. Pneumocystis carinae pneumonia, the one that PJP that you see. All of these infections are increased with steroid use. Thirdly, it causes a lot of other changes in the body, increased weight gain, increased blood pressure, increased sugars. Now, if you ask mucor what mucor would like for it to grow, it would be high blood sugars, diabetics, steroid use, which both suppresses the immune system and increases your blood sugar, and then all the other antibiotics that people seem to be using for COVID, which is killing off the normal flora and allowing these uh, abnormal pathogens to grow in the body. Steroids also cause profound muscle weakness. Uh, so if you take steroids for a long time, then it'll be harder to move, harder to get up from a sitting position, harder to uh, get up in bed. And so people get more fatigued. It, um, I, I think one has to be really careful. But again, in the right dose, if you use six milligrams of DEX, it's one thing. If you use 40 milligrams, it's a totally different thing. Uh, sometimes what I've seen is very high doses of steroids, sometimes very long duration, sometimes early use of steroids. All three are problems. There is also equivalent doses. I mean, dexamethasone 6 milligrams is equal to 32 milligrams of solimedrol, not 300 milligrams of solimedrol. So sometimes I see 200 milligrams of solimedrol IV or 300 milligrams or even 500 milligrams of solimedrol IV. Those are not equivalent doses. Those are much higher doses. And so the correct equivalent calculation has to be made so that you use the steroids appropriately. Because again, because of shortages, somebody might be using Ysalone instead of dexamethasone. So you have to make the correct uh, translation of the, of the numbers. Now, one thing to keep in mind is, uh, uh, this is an important thing for, uh, for viewers to know. I made my career on the steroids, on how to use steroids correctly. 
about 15, 20 years ago, we did a study looking at high-dose versus low-dose steroids in the treatment of multiple myeloma, the cancer. And what we were thinking was that the low dose will be easier to take, maybe less side effects. What we found was at one year, we were saving 10 lives out of 100 by just going with the lower dose of steroids. So the, the higher the dose, the more risks you take. And so that's something that people should keep in mind. Again, not to lose sight of the fact that they are life-saving when used correctly. And so don't hesitate to use when you need to. But be aware that if you don't use it carefully, it's not something where you can just increase the dose like um, just to just to get a better response. It's not antiviral. Right. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that, uh, Dr. Vincent. Um, COVID is a multi-speciality. Uh, I mean, it, it's essentially you have multiple specialities coming in, though the uh, pulmonologist may be at the center of it all. But um, given the use of steroids, do you think a diabetologist on the team is is a good idea to monitor the sugars when steroids are being given? Um, switch from oral for known diabetics. Switch from oral uh, drugs to maybe insulin. Is that uh, something that you're looking uh, that you would recommend? Again, you know, if if we had the luxury, yes, in terms of like physician availability and healthcare resources, with healthcare resources so stretched, and you know, I hear about people who are not even in their specialty taking care of ICU patients. It's going to be difficult to find this. But doctors have all been trained in how to check blood sugars and how to adjust the blood sugars. So all they need to do is when they start patients on steroids, given how prevalent diabetes is in India, and given the fact that these patients are coming into the uh, hospital and ICU with no one else in the family with them to tell the doctors what else does the patient have, you have to just check the sugars almost routinely two or three times a day, particularly even without steroids, just to make sure that you, you're catching this and uh, making sure that the patients are not having high blood sugars due to whatever else we are doing to them and then controlling them. Um, keeping the sugars for sure less than 200 milligrams per deciliter. So this um, might be a little, uh, you know, futuristic but, and uh, slightly more broad-based than um, steroids itself. But um, if you look at treatment protocols so far for COVID-19, um, dexamethasone, a steroid, is probably the only thing that is guaranteed to work at a certain point of time at a certain dosage. Um, there are some you know, positive responses with monoclonal antibodies uh, that, that, and some antiviral agents that are being developed. Um, do you think uh, in future, as we, uh, there seems no sign of the epidemic, uh, you know, going under. So uh, do you think that uh, the future will, uh, th in the future, steroids will continue to play an important role or, Will there be a slow uh, sort of migration to monoclonal antibodies and uh, antiviral drugs, perhaps, once they are clear after clinical trials? Sure. So, you know, of all the patients who get COVID, only a small number get hypoxia and lung involvement. It's for the vast majority of the others, it is a mild illness that maybe causes high fever for a week and then goes away. For 
Um, for patients who do get severe illness, um, probably, again, the best way is to prevent it. So the role of monoclonal antibody cocktails, I think there's one from Regeneron, that Roche, that is approved for use in India. If, if it's given early um, to people at high risk, elderly people, people with uh, cancer or other immunosuppressive conditions, it can prevent progression to hypoxia. So you can prevent the need for steroids by using this early. Um, in the future, I think if you're going to take away the need for steroids, that has to come from effective antivirals. Now, remdesivir will not do that. What you need is an orally active drug because you can't rely on drugs that can be given in the hospital. You have to have an orally active antiviral that's highly effective that you take at the first sign of disease and prevent patients going into the lung involvement where the immune system is hyperactive. So that's the only way we're going to get rid of the need for steroids. Um, and I'm just hoping that, you know, this is only one year into the pandemic. It's taken a long time to develop antivirals. We actually don't have that good antivirals for most viral infections, you know. And so it's going to take some time, but the whole world is researching this. So I'm sure that we will come up with something that's better than remdesivir or any of these other ones that, that hardly work, but really try to, and, and something that can be used before the patient gets to the hospital, not requiring IV infusion or something. Then you can eliminate the need for steroids because you will prevent the lung damage. You will prevent patients going to that stage. When patients go to that stage, we have a lot of immunosuppressive drugs that we use from organ transplant to other things. But, you know, actually steroids are the safer of those other things. It's definitely safer to use steroids than tocilizumab or any of these other immunosuppressants that we use as a last resort. So I think steroids will continue to have a role. They're very easy to use. Most physicians are aware of their side effects. It's just we have to control our impulse to give them early um, because temporarily they do make patients feel good. So that's actually one of the reasons why it's used. Because if you have high fever, from any reason, if I give you steroids, your fever will go away because they just completely suppress uh, the immune response. So it's important to recognize that, yes, patients will feel good. Patients might have no fever, but underneath that surface, they're getting harmed. And so you want to wait till they actually need it to use it. Dr. Vincent, you said the word remdesivir. So that's going to segue into our next question, which is the use of remdesivir in India. Um, uh, many states, it's, uh, you know, as a federal setup, it has a, a lot of uh, variations in treatment protocols. And um, the demand, the act, actually the very crazy demand for remdesivir, uh, many experts in India are saying is completely unjustified. And uh, it has a limited role, and at a, again, at a certain point of time in the infection. Um, so, do you want to caution our uh, audience on the use of remdesivir? Because we are hearing from hospitals when we interact with doctors that there are, you know, patient attenders who are pleading with them to do something. You know, why don't you get them remdesivir? Is the first question apparently. So, uh, do you want to give a note of caution or tell our readers something about this? Yeah, you know. Remdesivir is an, is, a, is an antiviral that was originally developed for a different virus, the Ebola virus. So people have to step back and think, what are the odds that an antiviral developed for Ebola will work in coronavirus infection? 
it was repurposed at a time when we were just grasping at straws, like trying to find something that will work. The initial trial showed a little bit of promise, but mainly in reducing the number of hospital days that the patient needs to be in the hospital. Subsequent trials show no benefit in mortality. When you look at all of the data, there's really no benefit. So if people think that by giving remdesivir, they're going to save their loved one's lives. It's not going to happen. Um, and again, people also need to know that even in America, we don't use it much. If we do use it, it's only because it reduces hospital stay by one or two days. And... Um, that it's very, very expensive in America to live, to stay in the hospital for two days. So it makes sense. In India, it does not make sense. On the other hand, it can be quite harmful. I'll tell you why. Because I see long lines of people waiting for remdesivir, crowding in areas. They're trying to get it for their family members, but they are going to get COVID trying to get remdesivir. <clears throat> so I'm just saying, this is not a drug you want to risk your life for. This is not a drug that is going to make people live longer or save someone's life. Uh, at best, it reduces hospital stay by one day. So I would suggest that it be taken off the guidelines and not be used. Um, thank you uh, for that. Um, you've been watching India and you have a sort of a keen eye uh, on what's happening in the subcontinent, uh, uh, especially with COVID. Um and uh, you've seen the infection in the U.S. and um, how it has been brought under control. Uh, would you like to uh, talk to us about how you see this infection going uh, in India and uh, perhaps some strategies, maybe something that we can learn from the way the U.S. handled it um, that we can follow here as well? Yes. I mean, we have multiple problems at the same time. If you look at the U.S., the U.S. had raging COVID. Really, we lost 600,000 lives. 33 million people got COVID, just confirmed cases, probably 100 million if you count it, uh, all the unconfirmed cases. That's a third of the population. So it's had a pretty devastating effect here. And now we are getting out of it primarily because of vaccines. So the way out for India, unfortunately, is going to be vaccines, 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 effective vaccines, lots of them. And we have vaccinated only 3% of the whole population fully, maybe 10% with one dose. So a lot more needs to be done. A lot of Western countries need to help with huge supplies of vaccine for India. It is in their own self-interest because as the variants emerge and even more variants emerge, it's only going to come back to haunt us. So I think it's important to make sure that we suppress whatever is going on in India very effectively. So that's first. Until vaccinations can occur to the scale we need, there is no other solution other than people taking precautions, either mandated or on their own. And that means... No more complacency. People have to stay indoors unless absolutely necessary, not have guests over. If they have to go out, wear masks. Make sure that you're masked at all times consistently. Keep your distance and try to prevent coming into contact with COVID because the, currently the variants that are dominant in India, if one family member has it, everyone seems to get it. So you, you just have to be aware that it can transmit more easily than the first wave. And then 
In terms of government policies, uh, there's a lot that needs to be done because we are losing lives that can be saved. Number one, because hospitals are overwhelmed. And so that pressure on hospitals needs to be reduced, whether it's by field hospitals or flattening the curve. We have less resources in the hospitals, the oxygen being number one, because without that, Patients won't last even a few hours. So we're losing people who are not getting timely oxygen. Doctors that I've spoken to hardly have time to answer any questions because they're busy taking care of 40 patients, 50 patients. Even if we know the, 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 the physician well, they don't have the time to give us. To, so patients are not getting the best care. So re, the, the government has to help reduce the stress on the healthcare system by increasing resources. And again, India needs help with that. I think they're getting aid from elsewhere, but we need lots of oxygen, lots of resources um, so that we can reduce this. And then fourthly, the guidelines. You know, the guidelines have to be crisp and clear and avoid drugs that have no use and emphasize drugs in the right doses that are useful so that we don't lose lives due to, you know, bacterial infections that are drug resistant or fungal infections that are drug resistant. I can live with lives that are lost simply because of COVID, but not lives that are lost because you couldn't treat it correctly or you couldn't get a hospital bed or you couldn't get oxygen or you got a complication that you could have avoided. So those are things that need to be done. It's a long road because uh, the population is so vast. Uh, You know, I would suspect that a lot of people are going to be already affected by COVID and hopefully they have some natural immunity for a few months. So that buys you some time uh, for the vaccinations to occur. Um, But again, be careful. I, I I told you, I made the same mistake before. I assumed that India is doing really, really well and maybe we had some cross reactive immunity of some kind. But I don't think so, because I think what happened with the first wave was people were worried about COVID. They isolated. There was lockdowns and that lockdowns worked. So cases went down over the next several months from July onwards till peaking in December, January. It was like as if COVID is over. And so then it became ripe for the virus to spread. And I think we don't want to make that same mistake again. Right. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Vincent. That was a lovely uh, half an hour of uh, learning about steroids. And uh, I think you've been very clear resolving some of the doubts that we have about uh, steroids and giving us a larger picture as well. Thank you so much, Ramya. Thanks for having me. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.